0: Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Sounds like this summer's weather could ignite more wildfires. Protesting overnight closures at some urgent care centers in Niagara. The PGA Tour and Live Golf make a shocking announcement. Canada's special rapporteur remains defiant. Believe it or not, it's clean air day in Hamilton and a win-win for coffee lovers. The GMH podcast begins
1: now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML.
2: Today, we released our updated modeling for the wildfire season. It is, uh, in a word, sobering. It shows that the risk of wildfires is set to increase in June and remain unusually high throughout the summer
0: across country. Uh, no more bad news from Natural Resources Minister Jonathan Wilkinson the other day on the wildfires that uh, well have erupted in virtually every province so far in this late spring as we head the summer and uh, we're expecting potentially looking at the summer forecast that we're going to get into in just a second that this this could be a trend that will continue. Global News Chief Meteorologist Anthony Farnell revealing his summer forecast and uh, by all accounts expecting it to be A rather warm one. Mr. Farnell joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Anthony, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Yeah, I'm I'm doing okay.
3: But uh, it has been busy when it shouldn't be busy. You know, normally you would say, okay, this is a sunny, cool-ish week across the province. There's not a lot of weather going on, right? Well, now we're making daily smoke forecasts, and that's something that's become uh, basically a mainstay on our broadcast since the beginning of May, since fires erupted out west in Alberta.
0: What's, been, what's that been like in terms of predicting the weather? How are how, how, how these wildfires and these plumes of smoke impacting what we're in, uh, enduring day in and day out?
3: Yeah, I mean, there there are several ways that, that this uh, is impactful. One, obviously, in the fire zone where you're having to evacuate and communities are affected, uh, forests are burning. It has been very warm and dry, hot and dry through the month of May out west and up into the north, Northwest Territories, Nunavut breaking all-time records for this time of year. Uh, and some of that occasionally got into Ontario and Quebec. It was definitely dry. It continues to be dry. But uh, all of this is in modeling that we look at, and then you have a separate type of modeling that does low-level particulate, the air quality, and then mid-level smoke, which can sometimes go in a different direction. And believe it or not, even these smoky skies right now is actually impacting us in the temperature department, we're a little bit cooler because the sun's rays aren't able to,
0: to penetrate through. Anthony Farnell is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Anthony is chief meteorologist at Global News. You can check out his latest forecasting on his social media feeds as well as on Global News at 530 and 6. Two your summer forecast, and it sounds like we could be seeing even more wildfires because it's going to be a hot and dry summer.
3: Yeah, it looks that way, especially around the Great Lakes. There are uh, conflicting signals. Uh, There's a developing El Nino, which has uh, more of an impact on us as we get towards winter. And that's a a different discussion. But uh, it has been warm. It's been dry. And now that we're into or heading into the heart of the summer, typically you look for those dry areas to continue that trend and then it starts to get very hot, especially during the day. So that's what we're looking at. I mean, basically coast to coast warmth. There is a a cooler signal up around Hudson Bay, believe it or not. And uh, we'll see because some other seasonal forecasts bring that encompass much of Ontario with cooler than normal conditions. But uh, I just don't see that happening the way things have panned out and, and the way things look for for uh, the month of July and August.
0: I was watching your forecast and we got about a minute to talk about this in terms of the warming waters in the Atlantic Ocean and how that could trigger a somewhat active hurricane season.
3: Yeah, so I mentioned El Nino. That's in the Pacific. That's warm water there. And that actually has a negative effect on any storms that develop in the Atlantic. Typically, it increases something called wind shear and that can tear these tropical systems apart before they really have a chance to become those major Category 3 to 5 storms. Uh, At the same time, you mentioned it, the very warm water in the Atlantic, uh, warmer than we've ever seen since we started measuring it. uh, And that of course, when you have more energy available, it can lead to more storms. So really, it's, uh, it's all about conflicting signals. And I do think we're, we're trending towards a more active year. Uh, and it may come in, in bouts like we've seen lately where five or six storms develop and then we have a lull and then uh, the pattern reloads. So uh, yeah, active hurricanes, at least that might bring some rainfall to the region, which uh, would be beneficial.
0: That would be nice. Anthony, thanks for waking up with us today on GMH and enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks. You too. Anthony Farnell, Chief Meteorologist at Global News. Check him out on Global News at 530 and 6 for the latest weather forecasting, whether it comes to sunshine and rain and, well, these days, wildfires.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: We're people, do, We deserve our health care.
4: We're entitled to our health care, and we want to see that our health care is maintained.
1: That is
0: the voice of Heather Kelly of Fort Erie SOS, one of a part of uh, the Niagara Health Coalition that's calling on the provincial government to cancel overnight closures at urgent care centers in Fort Erie and Port Colborne hospitals, all because of a shortage of medical staff. So basically what they are doing is from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. starting July the 5th, these uh, facilities, these urgent care centers are going to be off limits. They're going to be closed. They'll have no staff to staff them. And so you can imagine the furor in the community because if something happens, well, you can't rely on those facilities for emergency care. Sue Hutt is the chairperson of the Niagara Health Coalition and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Sue, good morning. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. Uh, You were part of a protest at um, Queen's Park yesterday. How did everything go yesterday? It went
4: very well. Uh, We were able to explain why it's so important to keep the urgent care centers in Port Colburn and Fort Erie open 24-7, and um, we got a good response with regards to that. What we're trying to do is make sure that the government does two things. First of all, they're the ones that can tell uh, Niagara Health uh, that they need to keep the urgent care 24-7. 24-7. Uh, one thing people have to realize that uh, there's almost 20,000 people uh, in those two communities, and that includes southeast corner of uh, Wayne Fleet where most of its population live do not have a doctor. So their first uh, person or problem is the urgent care. So it's very important that we keep the, the uh, um, centers open. We also are getting into uh, high tourist season and uh, there's about 25,000, 30,000 people that end up uh, being on the south shores of Lake Er Erie, north shores of Lake Er Erie, I should say, uh, during the summer. They're cottagers, there's people who uh, rent, um, you know, weeks at a time and that stretches from Fort Erie to uh, well into uh, uh, Waynefleet. So there's a huge, um, a huge increase in population. Uh, we do need to keep those uh, those urgent care uh, centers open. And what they're they're not saying, um, oh, well, we're going to close them for a while until we have our staffing. They, these are permanent closures, and we're really concerned uh, that what will happen in September or later in the fall that they may decide to close uh, the the urgent cares uh, period the the health system wants to close those two hospitals uh, they're looking at closing them in uh, 2028 once the new hospital in uh, Niagara Falls is uh, built and there's not even shovels in the ground yet so I don't know what's going on there
0: so there's a big obviously there's a big impact for patients for people in this part of the province, because if there is an emergency and they need urgent care, you got to drive a certain ways to get to a hospital.
4: That's right. And, you know, it's not like um, uh, there's no, you know, transit systems. There's no public transit system in these communities. There's a regional transit system that Comes every hour or every half hour, depending on the community. And by 9:30, uh, 10 o'clock, there's no more transit available. Uh, it's not like uh, these communities have a lot of uh, taxi companies. So if you're uh, stuck, you you really have a problem. And we have, especially in Port Colborne, and an elderly. Uh, population about twenty two percent twenty three percent or over sixty five and you have um, a lot of people that uh, like they they earn less than uh twenty thousand a year some less than ten thousand and among the elderly population so they don't have you know 50 dollars uh, to spare just to get uh a- if um a taxi if they can get one to go to, to Wellon or well going from Fort Erie to Niagara Falls, the center of Niagara Falls, it's it's pretty expensive. It'd mm-hmm. be more than that. So there's some real problems and and those were built by the people mm-hmm. of um of um Port Colburn and Fort Erie. Uh, they're there to provide services and everyone, every resident in, in Ontario, should have access to the same uh, level of care and the type of care and access to care as everyone else.
0: Absolutely. And that let,
4: is not happening there.
0: Let me jump in here, Sue, because we've got a minute. What kind of response did you get from the province? From the hospital? Or or, or the provincial government. Sorry,
4: yeah, you'll have to speak up. You're breaking up. Sorry.
0: What kind of response did you get from the provincial government, or, or you mentioned the hospital?
4: They haven't said anything yet. So we just... Uh, we keep uh, pushing and we know that um, the MPPs, Jeff Birch and uh, Wayne Gates, uh, have been raising questions and uh, we get sort of responses that there's, you know, programs are doing what they can. But I have, has, has the big question is, has Niagara Health, and I don't know, have they requested funding? from the government to allow, to make sure that they have 24-7 care, that the urgent care centers are open 24-7. So we don't know if they even applied for that extra funding.
0: Well, if they haven't, maybe they should. Sue, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you for your time this morning, and good luck with this fight.
4: Okay. Thank
0: you very much for having me. Sue Hunt is the chairperson of the Niagara Health Coalition.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: PGA Tour and the Saudi-backed Live Golf Tour announcing a merger yesterday. A merger after a year-long bitter dispute between the two golf leagues where pro golfers on each side were going at each other. And the golf world's golf fans were torn apart, too, because they just want to see everyone in, you know, their favorite tournaments. This merger also brings an end to lawsuits between the two parties. It it was a mess. It still kind of is a mess, but it is a fascinating one at that. PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan yesterday explaining how this all happened. In terms of how did we get to this point and how did we go from you know, a, a, a
4: confrontation to now being partners. We just realized that uh,
0: we were better off together uh, than we were fighting or apart. Okay. <laughs> this merger clearly has a definitive list of winners and losers. Moshe Lander is a senior economics lecturer and sports economist at Concordia University and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Moshe, good morning. How are you? Good morning. This came out of nowhere. I mean, w- w- what do you make of all this?
2: Yeah, it did come out of nowhere. You know, I was listening to a, a bunch of sports podcasts yesterday. And so you can tell on those podcasts, like exactly when the news comes out, because you can hear that the various... Uh, journalists are getting confused, too, uh, because they're getting that same buzz on their phone that what's this all about? Uh, The the news was leaked through CNBC, so it didn't come through ESPN and it it didn't come through your regular channels where you would expect to get the sports news. So that itself is indicative that, you know, this is a business move more than it really is a, a sports move. Um, I, I think that a lot of people are are trying to make heads and tails of what what did we just see here
0: from a business perspective. How do you how do you think this is going to work? We we don't have all the details. So what, what's your best guess?
2: So you know, my my first instinct here is that I don't know that this is a merger as much as it is a takeover. Let's let's think in the business world, right? That you know, often when you hear these two companies talk about how they're merging, it, it's really that one is taking over the other, and somebody's just trying to save face here. I think that the PGA was just taken over by the Saudis. Um, You know, who has the deeper pockets? And with all of the litigation that was going on, who's the one that stands to gain by settling all of this? Uh, I I think that the deeper pockets are are the crown prince that was sitting on the dais with uh, Jay Monahan there. So I I think that what we saw then was that the Saudis uh, basically went to the PGA and said, You're not going to win. Even if you win your lawsuit, you're not going to win. So you may as well settle now and let's figure out a way that everybody can save face.
0: I'm with you on that because now uh, one of the lead individuals of Live Golf now on the board of directors for the PGA Tour. So that clearly indicates that, yeah, they're in and and their money is into it as well, which brings us to the sports washing standpoint. We know that, you know, the human rights violations in Saudi Arabia. We know that the Jamal Khashoggi story From an optics perspective, this is a terrible look for the PGA Tour.
2: It is, especially because they were so strident, right? Like uh, we saw that Rory McIlroy was really carrying the water for the PGA and talking about how wrong it was that the uh, players like Phil Mickelson were jumping and just taking the payday. And uh, Tiger Woods, who's constantly in the news for for good and for bad, uh, allegedly passed up on a billion-dollar payday uh, to to make the jump and he didn't. So he was given some some credit here for taking a stance. Uh, they now look kind of foolish, right? That uh, the people who jumped and took $100 million paydays get to come back to the PGA Tour uh, and keep the $100 million. And so it, it, it's just, a, it's a real mess of what went on here. Um, I, I, I think that the, the PGA is going to have some real explaining to do that how could they take such a strident stance uh, against the, the sport washing that was going on, yet somehow acquiesced to their money and and to, to share the spotlight with them now.
0: Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Moshe Lander, senior economics lecturer and sports economist at Concordia University. We're talking about the PGA Live merger or takeover as, as we're uh, intimating uh, this morning. Uh, You spoke to those players who defended the PGA and did not go over and did not make mega millions, even though, you know, some of them, like Rory, like Tiger, already have, you know, millions in their bank account. At the end of the day, they look bad, but so does PGA Commissioner Jay Monaghan, who was right there with them up until yesterday. So for weeks, he was going behind their back in orchestrating this merger slash takeover
2: yeah and in the news that we're seeing it seems that the players themselves were not privy to that these conversations were taking place right so where you're saying he was going behind their back he really was going behind their back and it seems that uh on the live side too they were not aware that this was happening right and so um you know they they were all together uh, a few weeks ago at one of the major championships uh, and there was zero rumor or gossip from either side that this was going on, this is not the type of merger that you hammer out in, in 24 hours. So this is has clearly been going on for an extended period uh, that, you know, corporate sponsors might not have been aware of it. Uh, the TV broadcasters weren't aware of it. Like I said, the news broke through CNBC, not through the stations that tend to carry PGA Golf and not the channel that's been carrying Live Golf. So it, it really was... Uh, the cloak and dagger type discussions between the crown prince and uh, Jay Monahan.
0: really quick. We got to go. Do you think the PGA players who defended the tour will get some sort of compensation for doing so?
2: Yeah, there's going to have to be some way to try and balance this out here. You can't have a bunch of people coming back with hundred million dollar payday saying, uh, sorry, you didn't make the jump. Uh, you know, look at what we can now drive.
0: It's going to be interesting. Moshe, thank you for your time this morning. Any Moshe Lander is a senior economics lecturer and sports economist at Concordia University. I say they're, they're fraudulent. All, they're, all they care about, PGA and Live, at least the, the, the people who made this happen, all they care about is money. They don't care about the fans. They don't care about the golfers. They don't care about anything but money. And we're left with a merged league or a takeover league that has dropped in terms of optics, in terms of, I think, popularity. We'll see how this, uh, how these ripple effects continue to uh, flow on from here on in.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. I
0: have heard clearly the disagreement with my recommendations not to call a public inquiry, as well as allegations about my integrity and my independence. These allegations are, put simply, false. It's really more of a head scratcher at this House of Commons committee meeting where special rapporteur David Johnston was testifying and, and basically shot down claims about his objectivity as he was investigating or is investigating foreign interference. Sam Rutley is a Ph.D. student in political science at Western University and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Sam, welcome back to the show. How are you? Yeah. Good morning, Rick. Good. How are you? I'm good. Your reaction to what you saw and heard from Mister Johnston? Um, well, I mean, it was it was generally
5: um, in line with I think what we've seen before in terms of, of the fact that, that Johnston is still kind of maintaining the same uh, story, the same sort of messaging, and, and you're seeing the same uh, responses from the parties, uh, whether that's the Conservatives or New Democrats, you know, attacking his his uh, personal integrity and and the liberal. Uh, government kind of backing
0: him up. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh uh, was at the meeting yesterday and actually replaced one of his MPs in that committee meeting, and he reiterated his stance of, you know, how it, there is a perception of bias here with Mr. Johnston's connection with the Pierre Trudeau Foundation, with being a long-time uh, Trudeau family friend. Uh, the perception of bias, how does Johnston not see it or, or not acknowledge it?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think I think when we're thinking about this this bias, it can it can sort of work in two forms. Um, the, the first one is this idea that that Johnston is sort of deliberately uh, trying to skew things in the favor for the government, right? That he's he's deliberately uh, trying to um, manipulate the process that he's that he's tarnished in that way. So there's that one kind of form of bias, and then the other form of bias is he just simply lacks the the oversight or the the insight, I mean, uh, to kind of see see the fact that he might have, um, you know, some personal uh, relationships that that maybe is making him a a little less than impartial, so so more sort of unconscious in that way. And I feel like he's he's reacting against uh, these these accusations that that he's kind of deliberately leading uh, the the inquiry in a certain way, which I think he's rejecting. But I mean, perhaps uh this question about whether or not he might be um tarnished by his uh you know his his kind of friendship uh with, with Trudeau and kind of the the you know personal people there, right? It I, I don't think he's really engaged in it.
0: Yeah, I mean his reputation was absolutely sterling. It was it was diamond level excellence, and it has really taken a beating. Sam Rutley is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, PhD student in political science at Western University. Uh, We've heard from the Prime Minister time and time again, including yesterday, saying, listen, if if you or anyone saw what Mr. Johnston has seen in terms of uh, the intelligence that uh, the government apparently received, you'd realize why public inquiry is not being held. We can only take him for uh, at his word and and a lot of people are asking, well, let's just see it, and then we can make our own determination.
5: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, that was a, a big criticism of of his of his uh, ruling was was that it was, despite the fact that that there were these accusations or at least doubts of his own integrity, of his own uh, impartiality, right? That 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 it ultimately came down to a matter of, of kind of trusting his just take on the evidence. But I mean. There are certain processes and work where where members of the security community are kind of going through the same information. So, I mean, while not, you know, legal, I think given this this past record of leaks, I think we could expect that that if that if kind of the same people who are have been leaking this information in the past, if they feel like the report um, has been is, is is flawed, I think you might see some some movement over there in the coming in the coming months.
0: Uh, we've got about a minute. W- what do you make of these special hearings that are going to take place, these public hearings that Mr. Johnston is going to oversee? Do you, do you expect uh, any positivity c- to come out of them?
5: I mean, I think he's uh, he's interested in, in hearing further details from from people involved in the process or people affected by the process, kind of ultimately trying to uh, come up with a set of recommendations as to how the government should sort of be reorganized, right? Because he mostly identified it as a a procedural problem. Um, But, I mean, in terms of access to information or impact, um, it just won't have that same level of of salience that uh, that a sort of public inquiry will have.
0: It is a wild story, and uh, more developments on the way, I'm sure. Sam, thanks for your time this morning. Yeah, thanks for having me. Sam Ratley is a PhD student in political science at Western University, and you know, it's it, sometimes it's just hard to wrap your head around some of the stupidity that goes on in Parliament Hill, and there's a there's a bunch of it in, in, under this umbrella for sure. And uh, who knows where this is going to go? I don't see Mister Johnston backtracking. I I see him remaining defiant. I see him going on with these public hearings and. You know, having a you know a report later on this year that's gonna mean absolutely nothing at the end of the day. I mean, he didn't even interview Han Dong. A liberal, a former liberal MP, or I guess he's coming back to the party, who sat as an independent, resigned his seat, left the party because he was impacted by this interference. He didn't even interview him. Wouldn't that be the first guy you would talk to? Hey, mister Dong, tell me what happened. How you were potentially influenced or interfered with. A big black mark on Johnston's Reputation,
1: that is for sure. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Well, with all this smoke in our atmosphere, in our our lungs, which is not good, today is Clean Air Day in Hamilton. And you're probably thinking, well, how is that possible? Well, this is a program called Clean Air Day, and it's been, well, on this day, uh, and, and programmed in place for a while now. And here to talk about it is Mackenzie Witten, Education Program Coordinator with Green Venture. Mackenzie, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm well. Yourself? I'm good. The the timing of this day, and again, it's been on the on the <laughs> calendar for a while. The timing is is crazy.
6: Yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 horrible that it's uh all all this these wildfires are happening but it's hard to deny that it's good publicity for
0: the event. Well, absolutely because this is what happens when we don't protect our planet and be mindful of what we are putting into the atmosphere in the first place.
6: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 really you know we it, it, there's so many contributing factors to air quality and it's it's that they kind of compound on each other, right? Because as you kind of contribute to the to greenhouse gases, they're going to in turn contribute to forest fires.
0: Absolutely, And that's what we're seeing uh, really across this country in in mind-blowing fashion. Uh, you are an education program coordinator with Green Venture. You're teaching today's students about how to keep our air clean. Uh, what is going on today? So today we're hosting an event
6: uh, at Bernie Custis Secondary School called Clean Air Day. It's a uh, part of uh, Health Canada's uh, kind of nationwide effort to raise awareness about air quality and how important it is, uh, how it affects. Uh, sensitive populations, people who do work outside, people who uh, are younger or older, people with conditions. Uh, We're going to be having free food. We're going to be having uh, guest speakers. We have lots of booths and activities. We also have some door prizes that I think are really great. We're going to be giving away uh, an air purifier, uh, as a matter of fact, so something that might be really impactful to whoever wins it right now. Um, And yeah, it's going to be from 4.30 p.m. to 7 p.m. at Bernie Custis Secondary School
0: in Hamilton, and I hope to see as many people as possible there. My guess is because of the air quality outside, everything is going to be held today indoors? Absolutely, yes. It's all going to be inside the school. So, I, And I understand there is uh, a part of this, the Fresh Air for Kids program, which has some filmmaking involved in it. Tell us about that.
6: Yeah, so the Fresh Air for Kids program is a, a program that we do for free where we go into schools and we do a really long kind of six-part program talking to the to the students about air quality, kind of the elementary school range of, of grades. And... What they did this year as part of their kind of program was put together these anti-idling films trying to convince uh, members of their community not to idle. They always do anti-idling campaigns where they will kind of put up banners and posters and and try to convince all of uh, their community members to stop idling and care about the, the air that they're breathing. But this year they did a ton of student films and they're really great. So I'm looking forward to premiering them at this event and showing as many people as
0: possible for the first time those videos that's pretty cool. And, you know, getting kids involved. and and by the way, what's the age group of these kids? So this year's group uh, is
6: is grade five, six. So grades kind of or uh, ages nine to eleven or twelve uh, is is what most distances, But we do run the program from grades three to eight. It just ended up being that most of them
0: this year are five to six. yeah. so I mean, that uh, even at that age, they know the importance of breathing clean air. what What do you think their takeaway is going to be? so i I think it's it's
6: really important that they they kind of learn about these things at, at a young age, yeah, because they're going to be going outside a lot more. But th- I, a lot of them seem to have taken away some really important stuff, like not even uh, just not to idle or to convince their parents not to idle or not idle when they're old, older and things like that, but to do things like check the air quality health index and know that if uh, it's a bad day outside for air quality like today, that it's not advised to go outside and exercise because that can, can have a really harmful impact on your lungs and your health. Um, so kind of just being conscious of the air quality instead of taking kind of Um, air quality for for granted or assuming that it's fine uh, is
0: is what I, I really hope that they do take away. Yeah, that's an important message. Is Clean Air Day happening in other cities as well? It is. Uh, it is part of like a nationwide uh, initiative that Health Canada is doing, and Green Venture is hosting Hamilton's. Wow. Well, it's going to be a lot of fun for the kids. I know they're going to get a lot out of it as well, and hopefully, the the takeaway for us adults too is to uh, take better care of the air that we do breathe. Mackenzie, we'll leave it there. Really appreciate your time this morning, and uh, have some fun later on today. Thank you very much for having me. Mackenzie Witten is an education program coordinator with Green Venture. The event again today, Bernie Custis High School, 4.30 to 7 p.m. There's going to be, well, as you heard, a filmmaking workshop, and we'll have a screening of some of the things that these students have put together. Uh, there's booths and stations to get all sorts of information, some guest speakers as well. And uh, so, yeah, hats off to the students for taking part and making sure our our air is as clean as can be, although it's it's hard to do today, for sure, with what is going on with all these wildfires.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: We know that coffee is absolutely fantastic. Well, the first cup of the morning, well, even the the third cup of the morning, (laughs) or one later on this afternoon, or one tonight. On the opposite end of what is good is hospital foods. I mean, number one, you don't want to be in the hospital. Number two, if you have to eat the food, ugh, you, you know, he would rather have something else, really anything else. Which brings me to the Hamilton Health Sciences Volunteer Association, which brews reunion coffee roasters in their cafes and and just as importantly, donates all the proceeds to enhance patient care, which is a great initiative. Adam Pesci is the president of Reunion Coffee Roasters and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. You're
7: beating me on that front. <laughs> you it? had me up early this morning, though, so I, in fairness, what, you know, I heard the coffee burr go off about, about half an hour ago, and I'm already through, through the pot here. So,
0: <laughs> What's in your coffee this morning?
7: Uh, well, this morning I'm, I'm actually drinking our, um, our uh, a Colombian coffee that we have, a uh, project that we've been working on for about 20 years now down in, in um, southern Colombia called Los Hermosas. Um, it's kind of part of our, our whole ethos of the way that we like to do our coffee, which is specialty and sustainability. So uh, this coffee, you know, supports uh, a group of, uh, of farm workers down in in that um, in that region in in Tolima. Um and uh, yeah, we've we've been supporting them for for years through purchases of their coffee and and a premium that we pay, and you know, through it we've uh, we've contributed a quarter million dollars uh, uh, to their to their community more than just through the purchase of that coffee, so uh that's that's why we like to do things around here at reunion
0: coffee that's pretty cool what goes into making good coffee
7: uh oh gosh uh i mean coffee i like to think coffee is just being like a little miracle every time you get a good one just there's so much that goes into it i spent a good chunk of my life traveling down and visiting coffee farms around you know central south america east africa um, Southeast Asia and and the amount that goes into the farming of coffee the processing getting it here us roasting it grinding it getting it to a cafe it getting brewed you know getting into your cup and tasting even half decent is a miracle like the 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 way that if when you get it so when you get a good coffee I like to say it's Yeah, it's just that little miracle in the morning because it is absolutely insane the amount of work that goes into the coffee um, that, you know, we as the consumers never really see.
0: Yeah, I remember watching a video a few months ago, actually, just on how, you know, taking it from coffee bean to in your cup. And it's like, oh my gosh, I had no idea.
7: I I mean, all all coffee is produced, you know, in in, um, between the tropics of Cancer and Capricorn. So you know, countries far, far away from us, unfortunately, and produced on the sides of mountains and, you know, and just it's nothing's easy when it comes to getting a good cup of coffee in the morning. And that says <laughs> nothing of the amount of work and precision that, you know, the cafes uh, and, and restaurants that are making your coffee in the morning or even that little machine that you might be pressing just a button on to get your cup of coffee in the morning, all the work that it's doing and and uh, the accuracy that needs to be done. It's it's incredible.
0: Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Adam Pesci, the president of Reunion Coffee Roasters. You can find them in uh, Hamilton Health Sciences and the Volunteer Association at HHS. Uh, not only brews this awesome coffee, but also donates all the proceeds to enhance patient care. Adam, how did you get into the coffee business?
7: Family business. This was—I uh, was that lucky person. You know, you hear family business, you think like, oh gosh. Uh, is that really what you want to do for the rest <laughs> of your life? And and I was lucky one that I, I got into this, and um, it just you know it was it was a dream for me. I always came out of school, and I uh, my my main ambition was you know to try and do good in the world, and I had no idea what I was going to do to accomplish that. And then I realized the answer was just kind of right in front of me. It was it was coffee because there's so much that uh, you know coffee's a, a a challenging product in the world, and and. As I started visiting coffee farms, um, you know, my first one really was in Guatemala. That trip just changed my life and made me see that coffee can be so much more and we can be a part of that. And, and uh wanted to bring that home with me. And we started working on our, you know, more sustainable coffee programs to help support farmers and support the environment. And uh, from there, I just became my passion in life.
0: Have you allowed yourself to play with the recipe, concoct different things, or is that something that you're oh, thinking of doing down the road?
7: Absolutely. Oh, no, that's the fun. we 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 do something different every single day with our coffees at the roastery. we you know we we love to play. That's part of uh, part of the enjoyment of coffee is, you know, there is no right. Or wrong way to make coffee. It, if you, if the coffee ends up tasting good to you in the cup, then you've done something right. And uh, so, with that in mind, it's kind of fun to just, you know, give it a whirl in the morning. Try something different with your brew. Try a different blend. Uh, we like drinking coffees from you know all over and you know stuff that we don't sell yet we're We're always looking for you know the next the next great thing for sure.
0: How cool is it that the uh, Hamilton Health Sciences Volunteer Association donates proceeds from the coffee to enhance patient care. You're, you're helping people get better in hospitals.
7: Yeah, I mean HHSVA, We've been working with that group for uh, decades now, and they're just a terrific. I mean, it's the, they're the type of people that obviously we want to be working with, right? Like we have a, we have a um, uh, this this ambition to, to do better in the world, and and we want to do it on our end as as roasters and buyers of coffee with the farmers, and you know when when that coffee ends up in the hands of people that also want to do good in the world. Um, that's just an amazing thing when we when we get to kind of keep the um, the ethics of our coffee going end-to-end all the way from the farmer right into your cup.
0: Well, I'll uh, allow you to enjoy the rest of your Reunion Coffee Roasters uh, morning brew, if you will, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for joining us today, Adam. Thanks
7: so much, Rick. I appreciate your time.
0: Adam Pesci is the president of Reunion Coffee Roasters, and uh, all the proceeds that uh, go from sales of these uh, cups of coffee... Uh, at uh, Hamilton Health Sciences goes back into uh, patient care, which is a win-win situation. You get a nice brew, and uh, you're helping
1: people get better